Father, this morning we just come to you. And we just surrender our hearts, our minds, our entire being, our bodies into thy hands. And I pray, Spirit of God, you will touch us, that we will be able to focus and listen to everything you have to say through the voice of man, O oh Lord. Because you speak through men, and you have spoken through men for thousands of years, O oh Lord. But it was you who spoke. And I pray and I believe you will speak to us again today. And you will teach us and help us to hear, to believe and obey what you say, Lord. Speak to us once again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last Sunday we looked at drifting. We're just two weeks away, like I said, from the Passion Week and the Resurrection Sunday. And this year, interestingly, once in a blue moon it happens. Uh, Passover is on Friday. And Resurrection Sunday is on April 1st. God has to declare at an age when everybody seems to be against God. God says, I'm going to make a fool of all of you. April 1st, I declare my resurrection. Okay, so, and Good Friday is Passover. It rarely happens because Good Friday usually falls on, uh, not Good Friday, Passover falls on Wednesday or Thursday. But these two weeks, we try to look at... uh, Try to study the last days of Jesus on earth. Last days of Jesus on earth. It's also in so many ways a picture of how the last days will be on earth. Please remember, when the Bible talks of the last days, it actually includes the entire period from the first coming to the second coming of Jesus Christ is called last days. We think last days must be the end. No, scripture doesn't say. It actually says last days is the entire period between his first coming and the second coming. Yet, before he comes, there will be certain signs which it's called the labor pains before the actual delivery. So in Hebrews chapter 1, Words 1 and 2 says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in the time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son. So when Jesus came in and he started speaking, the last days began. And we are all part of that generation. We're all part of that generation to whom God has spoken through his son. That is what the writer of Hebrews says. The others heard messages spoken to man through angels. And every disobedience, the the judgment was terrible. How much more will we escape this great salvation that has come through his own son and not through angels or servants? Okay, so we should be even more, even more serious because to us, God has spoken through his son. So, the last days is from there and we are towards the end of the last days. So in the Olivet Discourse, which means when the disciples asked him, what are the signs of your second coming? So you will have it in Matthew and you will have it in Luke. Jesus gave signs. There are two kinds of signs. One is signs which are external, which is connected with nature, politics and all that kind of things, famines, pestilence and earthquakes, war. It has been happening in an increasing order for the past 2,000 years. 
But there is another sign which is internal. See, I can go absolutely wrong about the last days with the outside signs in your reading. But you can never go wrong in the inside sign. Last Sunday we said about two witnesses that will stand before every unbeliever who says, I did not know about God. There's an external witness. There is an internal witness. In the same way about Jesus coming, there are external witnesses. Everybody goes wrong in, in that, can go wrong. What about the internal witnesses? So today we will look at that internal witness, which is a clear sign of the last days. Okay? When Jesus was asked, what was the greatest command? Let's look at that portion. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Okay? They asked him a question. It was a question to test him. Thank God some of them tested him, so we got fantastic answers. Okay, that's what, you know, like when we were classroom teachers centuries ago, I'm not that old, but centuries ago, we were excited by some of the students' answers. And those answer scripts, I used to tell them, after you have finished, I want to keep that copy with me. Because that answer was fantastic. When teachers get excited, questioners get excited by answers. Because you look at it, this is no guide. This is original. And it is, if you have used your imaginative capabilities in these answers. And we love it. Okay, so thank God people ask Jesus questions because we have incredible answers that you can take 39 books of the Bible and make it into two statements. Wow. So easy, right? That's what you buy a guide for, right? So that you don't have to read the text. Jesus said, the entire text is compressed into two. Okay. So now we look at an internal sign. Jesus in the Olivet Discourse, when he's talking about the last days, signs of the last days, he says something in Matthew 24. He said, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Now, this is very clear. If this happens to you, you know you are part of the last day sign. You don't have to look for an earthquake because you are part of the earthquake. Many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Now these are things which are inside. The things inside. Listen to Wednesday's message about a lady who is so desperate and God uses a little offensive word to her. She's not offended. And you will see today it is offense in it. Thing can be misconstrued as an offense. You have to be very careful about what you say. Better check the dictionary before you use words to see what all possible meanings are there. And then say, okay, this word is slightly dangerous because people are walking on offense. And what happens? And many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. 
And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Love will grow cold. Jesus said, this is the greatest command. Love God with all your heart, all your might, all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, one of the signs is that love will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. He who endures to the end shall be saved. There's going to be an increase of persecution. There's going to be an increase of people falling away from faith. Let's read read that portion again. Okay. They will deliver you up for tribulation and kill you. You will be hated by all nations for names and many will be offended and will betray one another. You know verse 10? This is talking about Christians. It's not talking about non-Christians. This is part of falling away from the faith. Your faith will be tested. Your love will be tested. There will be a falling away from faith. There is an increase of persecution. There is going to be an incredible, unbelievable breakdown of relationships. And above all, all of this main reason is love grows cold. Your love for God and your love for your neighbor grows cold. And Jesus says in verse 13, he says... He who endures to the end shall be saved. Endures to the end, but hanging in there? No. Who endures in love for God and for his persecuting neighbor, he who endures till the end only will be saved. Okay. He says you need to persevere in this. We will see in Jesus' own life also, especially the last days of his life, the faith of his followers will fail. And love will grow cold. He had tens and thousands of followers. Love all changed. Though he hasn't done anybody any harm other than to bless them. Okay? So now we are looking at one primary internal evidence as we come to the end of the age. Are we parting part of the falling away? Or are we part of those who are enduring? When scripture says they fall away from faith, it does not say they stop going to church. Are we part of the falling away? Or are we part of the enduring? Paul in his epistle will tell us how this happens. And how society as a whole, as a whole, as completely, will fall headlong into this trap. In 2 Timothy he will say in chapter 3 verses 1 to 5. But I know that, know this in the Last days. He says, last days. The last days. Perilous, which means terrible times will come. How does it happen? How does it happen? It happens because men will be lovers of, they won't be lovers of their neighbors. They will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, Unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. In that four verses, he'll give you almost 18 characteristics of how the society will change. 
So how do we read Jesus' instruction and reconcile what Paul is saying? In Matthew 22 verse 39, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul will say, for men will be lovers of themselves. How do we reconcile these two, right? It's a little contradiction, right? Jesus is saying, love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul will say, terrible times will be there because people will be lovers of. And we should say, huh, then it should be good, right? Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, so I need to love myself. And Paul says, no, actually it will be terrible because people will be lovers of themselves. Are we getting it? We will become lovers of ourselves. We won't love our neighbors. See, our problem is, unless our minds are framed by the word of God, we will measure everything differently. Society measures progress absolutely differently. We will say we are the most advanced among humanity in 6,000 or more years. Why? We look at if you want to look at a prosperous nation, we will look at the wealth of the people. We will look at the strength of the military and we will see the quality of their technology, which leads to quality of life. And we'll say we have progressed. And that's how politicians pick up slogans also. When a politician says, whether it is India, Achyadin, or whether it is in America, let's make America great again. What do they mean? More wealth, more power, more technology. At a personal level, how do we read? Therefore, if I have more money, and if I have more influence, and you have more gadgets in my home, I have progressed. But God, and in the Bible, He never measures progress of a society in any of those terms. It is absolutely, completely different. And we saw this earlier, we'll see it again, because we need to go back to that core text over and over again. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And in verse 3, though I bestow all my goods, feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. God says a society will be measured only in the terms of their love. And in love, if we have in progress, you see, you are regressing. It's another term called regress. The opposite of progress. A society may progress in wealth, in military power, in technology, everything, and be actually be regressing in love, in kindness, and in compassion. It can happen at a national level. It can happen at a personal level. It can happen even in a church. God says, if that's what we are, then we are a big zero. Because the Bible tells us, God is love. Therefore, since we were created in his image, man cannot help but love. The problem is, sin and the devil 
takes the focus of our love and makes it destructive from God to self, from others to ourselves. That is the nature of Satan's love. He is in love with himself. Satan is one being in the universe who is in absolutely in love with himself. And he will destroy anybody else and everything else to preserve that love. When you see a society moving towards where it is the love of self, you know the love of God has been perverted. It's absolutely been perverted. Our object of our love has turned from God to self, from the other to self. And the nature of our love changes. And that's what in Timothy, Paul was writing those 18 characteristics. What happens when men become lovers of themselves? Right? When men are not lovers of God or lovers of others, what happens to a man or a woman or a child who loves themselves? The first manifestation is they become lovers of money. First thing is, They love money. Are we getting the picture? Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. When Jesus said that, he assumes a truth that we all love ourselves. We all love ourselves. But our problem is, Jesus says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now what is that? What are our complaints about? God says you will complain if your need is not met. Why? Because you love yourself. If you break, you didn't get your breakfast, you will be upset. Why? Because you love yourself. God said that is good. But he says you never get upset when your neighbor doesn't get have breakfast. You get upset when your clothes aren't so great. But he says you don't get upset when your neighbor is walking around in rags. You get upset when somebody disobeys you. But you don't get upset when you disobey somebody else. This is how Jesus puts it together. He says, I assume every man loves himself. So that's good. It should be the way it should be. You should love yourself. But in the same manner, love your neighbor. Otherwise, what will happen? We will end up becoming narcissist beings. Like a generation is so involved with self. We get so upset if somebody talks ill about us. But we don't get upset when we talk ill about somebody else. Jesus is saying, why don't you just love your neighbor the same way? There are a lot of things that are coming to a life as a result of the fall. God says, deny that. And express what has come into a life as a result of salvation. That's where the cross stands. You know, 
Today's title for today's message, uh, if you look at the small baby at the back, the babies at the back, the small ones, you know, the mother will buy what is called a pacifier. It's called a pacifier. It, the baby, just stop it crying, it will put, it will keep on sucking the pacifier without realizing there is no bottle at the other end. It will keep on no sustenance, nothing. Okay? The title of today's message is Pacify or Crucify. It's your choice. Because congregations have risen where they want pastors to come and pacify their flesh. Not crucify. See, to pacify the crowd, Pilate ordered crucify Jesus. There are only two choices. Either we pacify our flesh and exalt God or we crucify our flesh sorry, pacify our flesh and crucify Jesus or crucify our flesh and exalt Jesus. There are no two ways. That's where the cross stands. The cross denies everything that is selfish. Everything that is selfish, the cross denies. Yet it doesn't remain silent. It's not a silent spectator. From the cross, you will see all over the world next week, people will talk about the nine stations of the cross, the nine words from the cross. All this comes from the cross. The cross is never silent. The cross denies everything that is selfish. Yet, the cross speaks. The first words that is spoken from the cross is an expression, because he loves. Yet when we turn love to self, 2 Timothy chapter 2 says, the first visible sign is, we love money. We love money. Second Timothy 6.10 does says the love of money is the root of all evil. Doesn't say love is evil. Uh, sorry, money is evil. Doesn't say that. The Bible never says money is the root of all evil. He says no. Money can be a root and a cause of a lot of good. But it says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many, many sorrow. In a society, we love money. We pursue money because we love self. Because we love self. You cannot indulge in self unless you have money. Unless you have money, you cannot indulge in self. Our charity itself often is not because we love our neighbor. It is because we love ourselves. That's why Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 6, verse 1 and 2. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Why did he say that? 
because he says that what will happen you will re- won't even realize because you're doing charitable deeds before men on the other side you're pursuing money but because you're doing charitable deeds you will walk in this false assumption that you love your neighbor when you actually don't that you're doing all this not because you love your neighbor but because you love yourself and you want a reputation as a philanthropist Jesus by this is guarding our hearts from the love of money therefore when you do a charitable deed do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have the glory from men assuredly i say to you they have their reward god is talking about about why we love money why we love money one of the primary things about loving money is you will be always will be discontent if you love money if you love money you will be always discontent or always afraid because it doesn't matter how much money you have it will never be enough It'll never be enough so the questions we ask is to test ourselves like the lawyer was testing jesus we test ourselves is Am I content with what I have? Am I content with what I have? Do you compare your life with somebody else's? Even pastors do that. I wish pastors only had a clue of my congregation. That one third are orphans, the other one third are single mothers, and maybe ten or fifteen people in this entire congregation actually have jobs. but they look at the cards and say man he must be raking in money that's exactly what they say because they don't even look at people they look at the cards parked over there which you may be paying through your nose your emis do you realize is that how we look at life do you compare your life with other do you honor god with what you have am i a lover of god or am i a lover of money no that's what paul is saying check your heart check your heart do you love money loving of money can mean two ways either you want so much money because you want to indulge in yourself and then show to people you are a charitable person or you love money because your security is in it can be either see jesus final journey one of his final journey is very very interesting when jesus is final next sunday he will have it all around the world people will going around with palm leaves and if they don't get palm leaves any leaf okay palm sunday it is called okay hosanna hosanna all that is there the procession finished scripture tells very carefully in mark and matthew tells very clearly the procession finished and he went into the temple and it was late in the evening it was late even if it I was telling the pastors on monday monday pastors meeting even if it is late hour he still comes into the temple and takes a good look he came into the temple 
And he took a close look at everything. And then he went out. And he went out. Then scripture says the next day morning they were coming. Back to the temple. You will see much of Jesus' ministry happen around the temple. Because he was teaching us stuff. Because in the new covenant, in the old covenant, God had a temple for his people. In the new covenant, God has a people for his temple. So you may come back straight back late from the office and say, okay, I had a hard day's work. I'm going to put my feet up and I'm going to watch my program. Even though it's a late hour, he comes into the temple and takes a good look. He came to the fig tree. Scripture says he was walking down and he saw a fig tree full of leaves. And scripture writes very clearly, it was not the season for fruit. And yet he looked for fruit. And he saw no fruit. And he cursed it. The next evening they will say they found the fig tree had dried up. The question is, why did he go to the fig tree in the first place? The scripture says it was very leafy. The leaves attracted him to the tree. But when he came to the tree, he looked for fruit. But he didn't see any fruit. Even though it is not season. Oh Lord of creation, why are you looking for fruit? Because for the fruit of the spirit, there is no season. Fig tree is a symbol of Israel in the new old covenant. And also a symbol of the church in the new covenant. For the fruit of righteousness and for the fruit of the Holy Spirit, there is no season. What attracted him to the tree? It was the leaf. What attracts him to the churches? It's an outward worship. But what is he looking for? He's not looking for shouts and clapping and waving of hands. He's looking into our hearts to see, is there fruit of righteousness? Is there the fruit of the Spirit? That's what he's looking for. And if that is in there, he is unhappy. He is unhappy. Because you look at it, why would he? Why would he curse? Because it's so simple. He's teaching them even in his last journey. What attracted him? What attracted him is the leaves, the outward religion. It's an outward religion. God doesn't have to look for Christians on Sundays. He knows where they are. They're all in the churches. The leaves are there. All green. But when he approaches and when he comes, he's not looking for leaves. He's not looking for leaves. He's looking for fruit. Let me tell you the difference between leaves and fruit. You put one tree here, apple tree, orange, mango, pomegranate, custard, all these trees. But unless you are an expert, if there are no fruits, you will not be able to identify the tree. You do not identify a tree by its leaves. You identify a tree by its fruit. You don't identify a tree by its leaves. You identify a person by his fruit. You identify a church by its fruit. That's why he will say, if I'm right in Matthew 21, 43, he will say, the kingdom will be taken away from you and given to a nation. 
that will bear its fruit. What is the kingdom? The kingdom is a matter of power. The kingdom is righteousness, peace and joy. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. The kingdom is not given to produce leaves. The kingdom is to produce fruit. Produce fruit. And he says, the kingdom is the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what creates all this. And he says, if you do not utilize that power and only are leafy Christians, he says, I will slowly withdraw my spirit and give it to a set of people who will produce its fruit, who are walking in peace, who are walking in righteousness, who are walking in joy, who are walking in love, who are kind and compassion to one another. You can continue with your leafy ceremonies. But there is no fruit. Then he walks into the temple. Scripture says he took a whip of cords and he turned everything upside down. Tax collectors, their monies, their sheep and everything. Total mayhem inside the temple. Why? Why? You know what he said? My father's house will be a house of prayer for all nations. You have made it into a den of thieves. Now he's not against commerce. There is commerce that should take place. Because without commerce, you cannot have anything that's going on. There is economics, there is commerce, everything has to take place. That is God ordained. But he's not talking about commerce here. He said, you made it into a den of thieves. You made it into a den of thieves. What you have there is covetousness. He says, I'm an incredibly kind, loving landlord. Now let me tell you, we in our country, we understand it very well. Land is owned by mostly by few people in Banami property, other people's name, owned by a few people. Then they will give plots to the poor people to farm. And when they're giving it for farming, they will say, 50% of the crop for me, 50 you keep. Somebody else works over there, he gets the harvest, and then he gives 50% to the landlord. And the fellow doesn't do anything, he sits in his house, he divided all his plots, 50-50. Our God says the earth and the fullness belongs to me. I give it to you. Just give me 10%. What did he say? People won't even give him that. And they say he's a hard taskmaster. You see? Instead, they have turned the temple into covetousness. Turned the whole temple and your practice of covetousness. That's how the entire Old Testament finally closes. Finally closes. They said, you bring the sheep, one-eyed fellow, one-leg fellow, which nobody will accept, you will come and give it to God. And there's another fellow over there, the priest who is supposed to sacrifice him. If you give him enough money, he will take the sheep. And it's all being offered. So you have made it into a den of thieves. Rishi was talking about worship. This was all part of their worship. You know why we struggle with worship? Because Old Testament patterns of worship will not work in the New Covenant. Because the New Covenant is a spiritual act. It's not of clapping of hands and waving of hands and jumping and all. Nothing will make a difference in the New Covenant unless you worship in truth and in spirit. And every day of our life, we struggle with truth. Spirit is our attitude. We struggle with this truth and attitude. When when David brought the ark the first time with all the songs and the 
musical instruments and the crowd and everything and they were not jump he did not jump and dance and disrobe and all that songs we make he didn't do any of those things but god was not pleased the procession was judged a man died david was terrified first he was angry then he was afraid then 3 months later he got it right oh lord this is the way i did not worship in truth your truth says this is the way i should worship so when he had judged himself after seeing the judgment of god after he had judged himself and then he started worshiping in truth that's when he jumped in the spirit everything else is just public display worship is a very personal thing in the new covenant because i cannot make you worship you will do lot of actions for my name sake but i cannot make you worship the only person i can make worship is me myself and nobody else because i myself is the only one who knows how i am dealing with truth i don't know about you i don't know about anybody here but you can fool anybody lift your hands clap your hands jump dance and walk in a lie new covenant that's why in the new covenant nowhere will you see about worship and when paul and silas sings in the prison with the legs chained and back broken it is true because they are worshiping in truth because most of what happens is entertainment it's entertainment why is she able to worship because she is walking in the truth she knows it's very simple she looks at what she knows she judges it keeps her life very simple walks and she is able to worship we struggle because god is dealing with the temple one of his first acts in john chapter 2 and final acts of jesus ministry was cleaning the temple because he says that temple is where i reside i and my father will come and reside and our obsession with money is because of our obsession with self and our lack of trust in god we can trust god see if you all of you look all of us sitting and look at that we can see you know what i am this many years so i am 50 53 54 i don't know years old so there is always a confusion of my age and my family because we are all all one 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 year older i have four two brothers and two sisters and we are all just one one i am the youngest so if i am one year older by mistake all of them are one year older so they fight with amma to ask which is right so i think i am 54 i don't know whether i am 55 but imagine 55 years i have never struggled for food i've never struggled for clothes and always had a roof over my head so god always took care of what i actually needed and my uh, my struggles were the things which i wanted look at anybody sitting here can you can you say god did not take care of you all these years Didn't he say if you have food on your table and clothes on your back you can be content but people are not content because they want money to possess things which most of us don't need most of the things we have that's why we pursue money or oh, you we want a security outside of god a security that is in our hands that's why god says when people become lovers of self first thing is they want is money they become lovers of money instinctively everybody knows the god of the bible does not indulge or encourage self love because you look at the cross they will say are ye kya hai this is not self love there is something wrong with this god 
So when you have pictures of Jesus, no pictures are given. Even when you have pictures, you have to make him wearing a simple robe and walking around not with big gold, this thing and this. Nothing is there. This is not somebody who indulges. Very simple. Are you getting it? This is our crisis we are facing. We are facing our crisis in these last days because we are a self-selfie generation. That's why it is called a selfie. No, it's called not, it's not, it's called, it's not called neighbory. It's called selfie. You see, salvation is a journey of faith. The first stage is very interesting. Like Rishi said, oh, he loved going to Sunday school. Every child, if they play pre, no, that stage, LKG, UKG, if there are no exams at all, toys and songs, they all are ready to go to school. And then class one and exams begin, they start dragging their feet. That is how the first walk of faith is. You pray, answer comes. Sometimes answer comes without praying. You ask for a needle, you find it. You ask for everything God seems to be answering. Because he treats you like a child. And then, you hit a dead block. Dead end. Crisis of faith. Lord, what happened? I thought we had a deal. Now we have three options. Either pretend everything is okay and play religion. You cannot testify to anybody. Earlier you were the first witness testimony. I have a testimony. I have a testimony. What happened? Oh, last week I was writing an exam and I didn't remember and I asked God an answer came. Next week what? I lost my pen. Now no answers are coming. So now, still you have to pretend hallelujah Lord, thank you Lord because people should not know I have no testimony. So pretend everything is okay or I am getting out of here. I thought we had a deal and you are a deal breaker, not maker. Or you can hang in there and continue to follow God. That's a season of waiting. To be quiet and to listen and to take notes. Take what? Now, where am I preaching from? I'm preaching from the three chapters of Habakkuk 1, 2 and 3. Chapter 1, woo! Chapter 2, sit down, quietly take notes. Nothing is going to happen. Learn the lessons of faith. Take it down. Learn. Because God doesn't move in your life anymore doesn't mean God has given up on you or he's dead. He says, learn now. You cannot remain a child all your life. You cannot. You cannot. When you come to the third chapter, circumstances do not change. But faith does. Faith changes. That's what James is talking about. Because our love and our faith are being tested. James says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of a faith produces patience. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete. Lacking. He has to bring us to that point where I realize, you know what, I lack nothing. I may not have anything, but I lack nothing. God says, that's the final stage of faith, where you lack nothing. And it's never going to happen until I have led you through trials and tests and tribulations and you are perfected. This is a journey of faith. Your faith is perfected, your love is perfected, and you suddenly realize, you know what, actually, I have everything that I need for life. I lack nothing. And no one will reach there 
unless we go through session one and session two, where we have all the excitement of the beginning and then the quietness of the middle and hanging in there. That's why Habakkuk 3.16, he says, When I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones. And I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. What is Habakkuk talking about? He's talking about the Assyrian invasion that is coming. God said, this is what is going to happen. What is it? This is going to be the end of Israel. Judgment upon Israel. And he says, I was trembling. What is God saying? Next verse. Now what God is saying? He says, yet I waited patiently. What is he saying? You hear about the Antichrist coming. You hear about tribulation like the world has never seen. You cure and you say, Lord, I pray I will not be caught in it. Bible says if God hadn't shortened those days, even the elect will not survive. There will be days like never before in human history. These were nations. Assyrians and were nations known for their cruelty. And he says, even they will pale into what is coming now. Scripture says, though the fig tree may not blossom, no fruit, though the labor all has failed, everything has failed, yet I'm sitting there patiently waiting. And what happens? Scripture says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. What has happened? Habakkuk, do you have anything? No. Do you have any good news? No. Are you complete? Yes. I can still rejoice in my God in whom I trust. I am complete. My faith has been completed. My faith has been completed. I can rejoice in whom I trust. This is the final stage of faith. And God through his scripture is saying very few will reach that state of faith. Or love. If you endure till the end, you will be saved. If you endure in your face till the end, you will be complete. Even when you have nothing, yet you will be able to rejoice in the Lord. And God says, that's the process. But people don't want to hear that. They just say, pacify my flesh. Please don't crucify it. Pacify. Pacify it. And God says, when trouble comes, do you realize you're not able to stand at all? You're wending forth in all kind of situations. Paul will say this way in Philippians chapter 4. He says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be. He says, whatever my state, whether I am sitting with King Agrippa in his palace or lying in the prison chain to a Roman prison, I am content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and both to suffer need. I can do all things. It's not a problem. My contentment is no longer in outside things. Why are people discontent? Why are people we live in an age where we have more than any age had. Yet are people content? Are we content? Faith, this faith doesn't happen overnight. Imposters will come on TV. Instant faith. Instant wealth. Just send a hundred dollars offering. Hundredfold God will give you in two weeks. Does that happen in the Bible? 
These are manipulators on TV. And we, why do we buy into it? The question is, don't, don't blame a thief to steal. My question is, why do you give your possessions over to him? Because the problem is with our heart. When we see that, why do we get excited? If I send thousand rupees to this ministry, this man is prophesying and I believe God has seen my need. I have a real need over there. I was hoping and praying for a car. He's saying, if you send thousand rupees in a week, you'll get one lakh. It was judgment on your covetousness. If you knew your word, if you knew how faith works. Elijah turned eastward and go to chariot. There I have prepared a poor widow. He didn't say that. He said, first you learn to wait on the raven for a couple of months. Once the widow obeys him and her flower bin is full, it is very easy. You know, every day it is full. But to wait for months and months and months looking for a raven morning and evening is not easy. First go through stage one before stage two will happen. We don't want stage one, stage two. We want lottery. And God says, it's a judgment upon our own hearts. He says, deceivers will come, imposters will come. Why are they being allowed by God to judge our hearts? Our hearts are being judged. Our hearts are being tested. Crowds gather. Miracle is happening. Jesus said, go preach the kingdom and heal the sick. He didn't say, go heal the sick and don't preach about the kingdom. Yes, we need healing. But check your doctrine. Do you want to put healing above doctrine? You will take healing from anybody? You don't want to know the source of the power? Because there are only two sources of power. It's either God or the devil. There are only two sources. There's no third source. Third source is hospital. They will give you medicines. Only two sources, either God or the devil. How do you know the power is from God? Check the doctrine. Check the doctrine. Check the doctrine. We don't check doctrine because we don't care who gives the healing, where the healing comes from. I just want healing in my body. It's our problem. It's a judgment upon ourselves. We love ourselves. And money becomes our God because we are pursuing ourselves. Our goal, our dream, already the society has framed for us. If you are successful, and the sad part is not a society. Let the society go its Babylonian way. The sad way is where the churches have framed. So many prosperity churches where it tells believers, oh, if you don't have this much money and a house and a car, God is not blessing you. It's not blessing then Jesus was the most unblessed person on earth. He had nothing. He didn't even have a house to sleep. He had to go to the gardens to sleep at times. He did not have money to show an example. He had to borrow it from somebody. He did not even have a grave to go in. He had to borrow even a grave. Yet he was the most blessed person who ever walked on earth. How we change the terms of the society and it has permeated in the church and we don't realize why the church is struggling because we have taken something and we have become lovers of ourselves. And God says, automatically you'll be lovers of money. You'll be lovers of money. That's our goal. That's our dream. Is to love self, not our neighbor. Not our neighbor. In Second Timothy, he tells the second thing. We become lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. 
What do we become? Lovers of pleasure. Is it sin to have pleasure? No. We were designed by God to experience pleasure. But only one thing. Where does the pleasure come from? In Psalm 16 verse 11 says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What is at his right hand? The living God, the living word, Jesus Christ sits at his right hand. At his right hand is pleasures for, he says, every pleasure you and I have is designed by God. It should be experienced under the control of the word and the spirit. He says, it will be forevermore. But we become lovers of pleasure instead of lovers of the one who sits at the right hand. That's why Psalm 37, people will say, God will give you the desires of your heart. No, he said, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. God doesn't give us these open statements like, "You, whatever you ask, I will give you. He says, abide in my word and if my word abides in you, then you ask the Father and he will give it to you. Because God is not going to give us anything to destroy us. But something, it will be lasting and sustaining now and forevermore. Food, drink, clothes, Sex, everything was designed by God. It is all designed by God. But we are not called to love them. We are called to love God. The giver, not the gift. We worship food. Therefore we become gluttons. We become gluttons, not worshippers. We worship food. That's why there will be people in churches who doesn't know the books of the Bible. They know every restaurant, the latest one that is open in the city. Why are we hopping from restaurant to restaurant if you are not lovers of food? Once in a while, take your family out. That's a different thing. But every week, it's a new restaurant. Why? Because you worship food, not God. If you worship alcohol, you become an alcoholic. If you worship sex, you become an addict. Either you will frequent the pawn sites or you will frequent prostitutes. One of the two will happen. The ultimate sign of self-love is homosexuality. Read Romans 1, what God does. When people refuse to retain the knowledge of God, he says he hands them over. Hands them over to the love of self. Ultimately, we start getting confused We hate God because we confuse pleasure with joy. And we say, you know what? God is a joy killer. Hey, don't go to that church, okay? You will lose lose your joy in your life. One man of God said it this way. You can tell how far you are from God and how How much you have turned towards yourself. If you look at your attention for your body and towards sensuality. He says corrupt cultures are obsessed with sensuality. Outward looks appearance. Obsessed with sex. Obsessed with status. Obsessed with clothes. And not just clothes. To look sexy. We love music. We don't love worship. 
music. That's why today's, not today's, modern day lyrics are more about man than about God, even when they are sung in church. Sermons are more about man, very less about God. When a society stops loving and worshipping God, the natural thing is they turn towards the human body and sensuality as a substitute. And we start worshipping our bodies. That's what happened. Moses is away. He's gone. The one man who brought order in the church is gone. He's not there. So where is this fellow gone? But we have to worship. We have been created to worship. Exodus 32.6 They rose early on the next day. Wow. Early. Offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink. And then they rose up to play. The revelry of senses. Isn't that how every worship takes place? In the world? Isn't that how it takes? That's why idols are given. Idol replaces God. They wanted an idol. They wanted an idol. Idol replaced. Because idol doesn't condemn this. No idol condemns this. All over. Now it is happening all over. Yesterday was St. Patrick's Day. What was so saintly about any St. Patrick parade anywhere in the Western world? They have all these idols replaced in Christianity and the idols are taken off and the way people dress and the drinking and the revelry all in the name of Christ. People love it because it's a worship of self. It's a worship of the senses, of sensuality. Yes, you should take care of your body. But the purpose is that you might use your body to serve God and to serve other people. Stop idolizing your body. So what if you're aging? You can't reverse it. Accept it. Stop idolizing your body. You have three choices with anything. You can use it. You can misuse it. You can abuse it. Three words in English. Use, misuse, abuse. Proper purpose in its proper way. It's always defined by the maker. There is a creator. And this is the creator's manufacturer's manual. He has manufactured us and sent out and says, use it. For my glory, serve your neighbor. We can misuse it. We can abuse it. Let me explain to you. You have a car. A car comes, or a bike, let's say a bike, because most have bikes. The bike is meant for two people. You can use it properly, see its services, check your tire, service it regularly. That is using it properly with two people, and it will run for a long, long time, 10 years, 15 years. Now you can take that same bike or same car and misuse it. You never service it. You never do the oil change. You do it once in two years. It is meant for five people. You pack in 15 people in. Now what are you doing it? You are misusing it. Now let me put it in another way. 
you have a car it belongs to the government or your organization you take it and use it for your personal purposes that's called abuse that's abuse that's why the government of india never has money for people because much of the money is gone for abuse you have one crore employees sitting in the governments or more and it is all abuse the actual calculation is when the government spends 100 rupees 2 rupees comes to the common man the rest is swallowed in between to take care of these people it's called abuse it's abuse and ask yourself am i using my body am i misusing my body or am i abusing my body if god has committed something into my hands am i using it am i misusing it or am i abusing it this is stewardship in the kingdom because one day god says i will have a set of people who will rule this earth on my behalf because they have learned stewardship first with their bodies on earth and then what i committed into their hands because people forget the end of salvation the end of salvation is bigger than the beginning he's creating a set of people who are meant to be kings and queens It's not about this life there's a much something bigger than you can imagine or think of but scripture says there is a road to it and that is the road when people come into the church we teach them you are in a race don't forget you are in a race there is a purpose so how you handle stuff how you handle people how you handle people one of the greatest things which god has given me is he's placed people under me i don't abuse I don't misuse. I don't even use a car to go from my office to my home. Ask. Unless emergency there is still I take an Uber if my scooter doesn't isn't there. Because I know I bought the car but I gave it to an organization. If I use it for a personal need, it is still abuse because I learned it from my father before I became a Christian. Do not use government property. It's meant for the government. How do we learn? how do we learn because we live before a different set of eyes one day scripture says everyone will have to give an account of what he did with his body so whatever is does wrong put it before god cleanse it sanctify walk straight this body is not for alcohol this body is not for smoke this body is not for drugs this body is not for overeating This body is not for 253 lotions. The problem is not with lotions. The problem is there are millions without footwear in this country. The problem is not with lotions. If somebody gives it to you free use it. The problem is when you open your closet now you don't know which lotion. Obsession I'm talking about things that connect with the body because we have become lovers of ourselves that's why you hear stuff here which you won't hear in other churches because these kids have been here for 10 years why are they all walking around with mushroom cuts because they love their body other kids new kids and all it's okay you've been sitting in the word for 10 years you know what is right you know what is wrong you know what babylon is you know what jerusalem is and you still choose to go the babylonian way nothing is getting in nothing is getting in this man looks at the outside yes god looks at the inside but my testimony is before man and god 
Not just before God. You cannot say God knows my heart. Yeah, but what did you say? How do we handle relationships? How do we handle people? How do we handle people? Because we become lovers of ourselves. The problem is, we don't love our neighbor. God says, don't abuse, don't misuse. Offer it daily as a living sacrifice. Otherwise, it is idolatry. They were not dumb to worship a metal calf. You think people are, you, you people are silly, they go during puja time and they get an idol and they're worshipping and you're saying it's so foolish to worship it. You know what Paul says in Corinthians? What am I saying then? Is an idol anything or what is offered to idols is anything? He says no. Rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons. Do you know that every idol that is bought in the market is brought home or brought to the temple and it is consecrated? And when it is consecrated, a power gets in. That's the power they worship. That is idolatry. Have you seen? In the market, hundreds and hundreds. Does anybody go there and bow before it? No, nobody does. But once they bring it over there and they have done the rituals and got a Brahmin or Pujari to do it, after that they worship because something has entered it. That's why God says, beware of idolatry. Because when you start idolizing yourself, something enters it. Was one disciple who walked with Jesus for three and a half years. His whole thing was how to make money, how to rise up, how to raise money, how to make up. He understood what Jesus was talking about, the cross, and he realized this deal is not going to work. Let me make some money out of it. And scripture says on the final communion, Lord's Supper, he dipped it, gave it to Judas, and the devil power entered him. Because what did he do for three and a half hours? He was the lover of himself. Not a lover of his neighbor. That's a danger with idolatry. You can have peace. You can manipulate that idol to give you what you want. That's why people love idols. Even when we were all Catholics and many ex-Catholics sitting over here, when we why, why do we love Virgin Mary more than Jesus? Does Mary teach you anything in the Bible? Does she show you the paths of righteousness? Does she give you a sermon? Does she give, can you learn anything from her? And the only one thing you can learn from Mary, what is that? Go listen to whatever my son says. That's the first words spoken when Jesus began. Other than that, we learn nothing from her. Except her humble heart when angel Gabriel comes. Why do we idolize her? Because she demands nothing from us. Yet, we can pray to her our most warped prayers and she can answer us. Idols, we love idols. Going to the living God demands change. All these saints, and we, we, we talk about Hindus and their idols. Forget it, we have more idols than all of them. It's John Calvin who said, the human heart is an idol factory. It's an idol factory. That's why we are lovers of money. We pursue money. We pursue success. We pursue education. We pursue appearance. We pursue relationships. We want approval. We want approval. See, 
Abraham never worshipped his wife, but he worshipped his son. We know he worshipped himself. When he had to choose between his wife and himself, he said, you die, I live. Say you are my sister, okay? Twice, not once, twice. But when he was told to throw Ishmael away, he said, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord, what are you saying? Lord, bless him also, Lord, please. He was not willing to let go, he let go. We can worship relationships. That's why God said the great commandment, the greatest is love God with all your heart, all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't say love your God with all your heart, love your neighbor with all your heart. So until Isaac is bound on the altar, he's free. He's free. We love all these things. Now Pharisees came to John the Baptist and said, John, John, do you know Jesus whom you pointed? Now he has more Facebook likes than you. He has more followers on Twitter than you. John was a humble man. He said, he should have more followers. I should have less. It is okay. Even if people put dislike, dislike, dislike on me, I am okay. Now, yesterday's statistics, two days came that 60% of Prime Minister Modi's and Rahul Gandhi's Twitter followers are fake. They are not even real. They don't even exist. Why do you want to show these members? 12 million following me when half of them are not even genuine. You see, a generation who genuinely have no relationship, all their relationships are virtual. All virtual. It's on selfie. It's on Twitter. It's on Facebook. They have no real close interaction to have friends who will say, hey, hang on, man, I love you. I'm not going to let you go this way. Like Jonathan who will stand with David and says, you know, David, I know you are called by God. I know my father is wrong. He's up to kill you. I am saying, I got your back. Brother, I got your back. I am with God all the way for you. I see, I am called to be king by my father, but I see you are called to be king from your father. I stand with your father against my father. I got your back. That was not a selfie or a Facebook post. That was a real life friendship. We don't have real relationships anymore. It's all virtual. And we want to boast, you know how many Facebook likes I have? How many followers I have? A self-loving people. That's what God is talking about. We no longer love our mates or children. We either idolize them. That's why we are not able to let them go. Even when we let them go, the rope is in our hands. Okay, it's good. We think it's a kite. Oh, I am trying to, he gains heights. One day he breaks the string and goes away. And you finally see that he is tangled in somebody else's line. God says, I told you not to worship him, worship me. You can only worship the Lord your God, you cannot worship anybody else. Only he alone deserves our worship. He loves pleasure. Therefore it's alcohol, sex, video games, sports, Bible calls it idolatry. You see, we gather in huge, huge stadiums and we color our faces according to our teams. We have our headdresses and our costumes. Oh, we are worshipping. But we don't realize 2,000 years ago they gathered in the same manner in the stadiums with their colors and this thing and waving when Christians were being thrown in the stadiums to the lions. 
Worship hasn't changed. Only the object of our worship has changed. Then it was Christians, this is football. Then it was idolatry, now it is also idolatry. You realize what we have made ourselves into? Worship. Jesus said you shall love God with all your heart, all your might, all your strength. Idolatry is a result of loving self and loving pleasure. And we have, without realizing, become a society of slaves. How many of you are below 15? You are below 15? No, 15, 1, 5, 1, 5. You are below 15? Okay. You are below, only one below 15. Let me tell you. Okay, below 15, okay, you are 15. You, we pretend you don't know anything, but I'm sure this generation knows everything. What happens, the height of it is what is happening now. Is everything God has put, has, this is the norm, this is how I programmed, the devil turns it around. Devil turns it around. What is the norm in God's eyes? The devil perverts it. And that is a way of occult. In every occult religion, from thousands and thousands of years, every occult practice, sodomy is part of occult. It's part of occult. That's why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, and King Josiah destroyed the Sodomites. Because God said, this is the way a man and a woman comes together. The devil says, no, it's the other way. He says, through this there will be oneness. Through this there is an entrance of demons. That's how they program people. You hear the scandals coming out of Australia, US and all. All the young cadets who joined to the Marine Academy and everything. First rights, they were all sodomized. So their will is broken. And what does our Shastras teach? That is through which the Kundalini power of Shiva comes through it. And sodomy is part of it. Now what are the Christians couples all over the West talking about? Oh, my wife has had two or three children and now you are not giving me pleasure. Let us have anal sex. You know what has come in? But God caught an abomination has become honorable in the bedrooms of believers. What God said was holy as demonic has taken over our bedrooms. We have no clue what's happening in the world. Have no clue how programming is taking. We have become a society of slaves. Slaves. God have mercy. God have mercy. That's why the ultimate symbol of freedom is the cross. It's the cross. It's where you are set free. I no longer am a slave of my flesh. I am free to worship my God. Understand how the occult works. 
understand how the kingdom of god works they don't work in the same way the ways are absolutely different and there is power on both sides but on this side for power god says let me come in let me cleanse you up i will fill myself with i fill you with myself because i am a holy god i want a holy abode the devil says no you want power i will add pleasure to it let's have drugs let's have sex let's have every kind of perversion i will give you power and give me blood as why every year you hear in every city tens and thousands of children are missing gone no trace they are not adopted they are not taken they just disappear because they are sacrificed for power that's what the bible talks in the ancient days onward down to manasa sacrificing the children so that power could come 50 million 60 million babies aborted in the us alone where did the embryos go Is there a record of the embryos being buried? No, where did they go? They were used for rituals for power. This entire power system of this world is built on occult. That's why Jesus said the world will hate you because of me because I have come to set you free from the power of the enemy. Don't be a lover of money. Don't be a lover of pleasure. Don't be a lover of anything. Be a lover of God. Be a lover of God. power of god the devil does not want male and female he does not want it because it goes against his plans he doesn't want he wants no gender because he knows genesis 11 says genesis chapter 1 says male and female he created them second chapter says family is created them family is one man one woman he says no i'm changing the rules here changing the rules here one there will be no gender you can pick your gender as you go along Two, marriage will not be between a man and a woman. It can be anything. And you have no clue. This agenda, the influence it has upon you. And it begins with clothes. System says, dress alike. Let's take the gender division away. dress like men men dress like women women dress like men have you boys asked how come your pajamas your these things are so tight these days which only girls used to wear have you asked in the past 2 years everybody is walking around in a track suit which looks like the girls tights do you know there is a philosophy and agenda behind everything that is happening and you say i ain't buying into it i know what god made me i will stick to that God there is a bigger than clothes there is an agenda that is behind it to make women look like men and men look like women because God said male and female I made them and the devil says I will change that I shall make them without any gender I'm going to neuter it understand the purpose if you don't understand the purpose of creation all this relevance goes if you don't understand the purpose kuch bhi chalega once we understand the core purpose then everything comes in let me ask you this question before i close what is the purpose of an army army is fight what is the pri- if you have to look at the primary purpose of the army the primary purpose of the army is to fight so the, they need to be the best they can be to fight that's a primary purpose there's a war you have to fight you need your best at the fighting level it's not a place for social ex- experiments 
You know what they say in America now? They are not able to get recruits because there is nobody who is able to pass the test. How did you begin? Equality. We need to get the women in. Why do you want the women in the army? Why do you want the women in the army? Did God create the woman to fight? Then they changed. They said homosexuality should be normal. Now they said transgenders should be in. Generals are struggling because you have a set of recruits who are confused. The woman wants to act like a man. The transgender doesn't know whether he's a man or a woman and they have to fight in Afghanistan. They have to fight in Iraq under the most extreme circumstances. Generals are scratching and said, what have you done? Because social experiments are not for the army. The purpose of the army is to fight. Do you know your purpose as God's creation? What is our purpose is to body, soul and spirit to glorify God. This is not a space for enemy social experiments. I know what I was created for. I know what I am redeemed for. I know what he has called me for. Each one need to know. This is not a space for his social experiments. It stops here. It doesn't get in. You need to decide. That's what Daniel said on the first day. He purposed in his heart, I am not a vessel for Babylonians' social experiment. It stops here. And God said, you have favor with me. Three friends a little later said, you know what? We have been called to worship God. We will not bow this before this idol. If we die, we die. If we live, we die. But one thing we know, we worship God. We don't. Third thing Daniel said, you know what? You cannot stop me from praying. It's a very personal, intimate thing. And I will not let any government, any king intrude into my private space. What I say to God, how I say to God, when I say to God, you are out of bounds. All Babylonian social experiments, it's happening now too. Do we see? Do we hear? Do we realize why we are so discontent? So discontent. You will never, a child of God is never going to be content if he doesn't fulfill the purpose of God. Because we were created to be content in Christ alone. Outside of Christ, we are going to be discontent. That's why God said, you are a holy nation. A peculiar people. When you go to your school, they should say, that's a peculiar boy. When you go to your office, they should say, that's a peculiar girl. We are not the norm. When we go to office, we are square pegs in a round hole. We don't fit. If you fit in so well, there is a problem. You have compromised somewhere. Why did I say all this? Because the day is getting close and closer and closer. And Habakkuk says, when I see the judgment of Israel coming through the Assyrian sword, I am trembling. I am trembling. Yet, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord and I will trust my God and He will keep my feet like the feet of the hind. That's what God is saying. It's coming closer. It's getting closer. It's getting closer. The day of judgment is closer. It's so terrible that day. Heaven and earth will flee from his sight. And every man will stand before God and give an account. Give an account. And when we give an account, you should be able to say, Yes, Lord, I did not know. But on the 18th of March, I knew and I changed. God said, that's fine. I didn't ask you when you changed. I only asked you, did you change? 
I realized my purpose. I realized my purpose was bigger than me. Much, much bigger than me. It was about you. It was about your kingdom. It's about you. It was about your kingdom. That's what Jesus does on his final trip. He walks in. He takes a good look everywhere. Comes back. Looks at the fig tree. Where is your fruit? Be cursed. Every tree that doesn't bear fruit, you are cursed. We don't want decorated items in heaven. Only fruitful trees. And the tree in heaven will bear fruit 12 months of the year. All the seasons. We are all the tree of life because in us is him and in him is life. That life was the light of men. So you and I call to bear fruit all seasons. We cannot say, oh this is off season, I cannot love. Oh I am not feeling good, I cannot forgive. God says no season for fruit. No season for fruit. Because you are planted by the waters. Of the Holy Spirit. And you shall bear fruit in all season. Then he gets into the temple. Cleans it out. They are coming back. Peter says. Lord the fig tree is. They they miss every lesson. They are stunned by the spectacle. Oh Lord it is dried. He said you know what. If you speak to the mountain. Be moved. It will be moved. And we talk about the mountain and 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 a mountain never moves. You know why? Jesus immediately said, you know what? You will face obstacles in your life. Major, major obstacles. You have the power of God available to you to remove these obstacles in your life on one condition. When you stand to pray, if you owe somebody forgiveness, forgive. Unforgiveness brings no answer from God for any prayer. Did you see his last visit to the temple and the lessons he taught in one trip? It's all about relationship. You want something from God, you need to give out something this way. You hold something which is not to be withheld. He says, you will receive nothing from God. Your mountain will grow bigger and bigger and bigger because you didn't do what you could do. Forgive people. Somebody wrote a prayer request. Help me not to be bitter. Forgiveness is an active choice. Forgetting is passive. It may take years to forgive. But the more you forgive, that forgetting becomes easy. Forget, forgiving is active. As soon as the memory comes, you open your mouth and say, I choose to forgive. It's active. And you will realize after some time the memory doesn't hurt you at all. It doesn't hurt you at all. Esau who said, I will kill him. And Jacob was hiding when they meet after 20 years. They are hugging and kissing each other. Everything is forgotten. Understand how it works. We have two choices this morning. Either pacify our flesh or crucify. If you keep on pacifying, one day like the baby will wake up and take it out and say, Are you going bottle it? You will realize you pacified, 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 and you will realize you are empty without strength in the hour of trouble. You have no strength because you used a pacifier. There was no strength. No strength. Don't use pacifiers. Don't. Shall we stand this morning? So we go into this season. And the nation goes into a tough two weeks. I encourage everyone 
everyone to be stand up and to be counted. It's not the volume of your prayer. It's the sincerity of your prayer. It is not the power of your words. It's using, exercising the authority that God has given you. Exercise the God-given authority and pray from your heart. Because he has said in his word, Behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. You shall trample upon snakes and scorpions and they shall by no means harm you. But when you stand to pray, these two weeks, the Holy Spirit will first do a cleansing in the temple. He will come. He's in the temple. He will come and he will start cleaning out stuff. First thing, he will clean out covetousness. The love of money, which is the root of all kinds of evil. Allow him to clean it out. Because if he can be free of that, you can be free of almost everything else in life. Know that, church. Know that. Know that over and over we have heard it, but it's not sinking in. But let it sink in. Abraham lied and deceived, God forgave him. Isaac lied, God forgave him. Jacob was a liar, God forgave him. Moses murdered, God forgave him. David took another man's wife, committed adultery, murdered him, God forgave him. Balaam was covetous, Judas was covetous, Ananias and Sapphira was covetous. Everybody who sold out their heart for gold, God could not save them. Because you cannot serve God and mammon. And if anybody teaches you, show him the Bible. It is not possible. That's why God says people will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money. And lovers of pleasure. There is pleasure. That's on the right hand side of God. Let it be ordained by Christ himself. And by his word, dictated by his word. Offer today your bodies as living sacrifices. Offer your minds over to God and say, Lord, help me to think the way you think. Today, when I sit with my word and read, help me to think your thoughts. Align my thoughts with your thoughts. Help me to hate what is evil and love what is good. And what you call good is good. What you call is evil is evil. It doesn't matter what the government says or the society says. So Lord, help me to believe and accept and confess what you say is evil. The meaning for abomination has never changed in English. Go through your Bible and walk. Mark out what all God calls an abomination in the Bible. It is still an abomination. What God calls an abomination, don't call it by any other name. We stand before you today, Lord. The reason you came, the reason you walked among us, the reason you hung on the cross is so that you could have a set of people called out, set apart, daily, continuously offering ourselves to be cleansed by your word by your spirit and by your blood so that you can abide in us. You said if my words abide in you, if you obey my commands, you said I and my father will come and abide in you. Jesus, we do not want you to be a visitor. We want you to stay. Show us and help us to meet all the conditions in our lives, in us, that will make your 
stay in us pleasant for you, pleasurable for you. For your word says, we are the temple of the living God. Show us, cleanse us, dwell in us. So that wherever we go, we really, really know you are with us. Because you are in us, abiding in us, comfortable in us. Comfortable in what we say, comfortable in what we watch, comfortable in what we do. Comfortable where we go. Comfortable with the company we keep, the books we read, the music we listen to. You are absolutely comfortable, Lord. Help us to make you comfortable in us. Show us, Lord, each day. What causes discomfort for you? Show us. And help us to remove it. Because nothing is worth keeping if it disturbs you. Nothing. This is about you. It is with you we will dwell forever. Because it's written, O God, in your word, that a father came and dwelt among us. And he wiped every tear and every sorrow. And he made his dwelling place with his people forever. Let it begin today, Lord. Not tomorrow, today. Commit ourselves into thy hands. As we go into another week, go before us. And teach us to walk before you and be blameless. Meet your people, your children at their point of need. Whatever their struggle is, meet them at their point of need. That they may experience your power and walk free. I commit the young ones into thy hands, O Lord. They have heard so much. They are young. Oh, blessed are those who serve their creator in the days of their youth. I pray these young ones, boys and girls will rise up and serve you. That when you come into our lives, into our homes, into our churches, you will be pleased. You will want to stay. You will want to walk in our midst. You will want to hug your people. He'll want to say, I love being with you. Help us to turn the focus to you, Lord, from ourselves. Help us to know the gospel is not about a man. It is about a God who came searching for man. The parable is not about the prodigal son. It's about the waiting father. It is not about the man, the son who came dragging his feet. It is about the father who ran towards his dirty son. Help us to see everything in the light of the kingdom of God, O Master, when we read your word and not see ourselves reflected, but your face. Let it be 
about you. Thank you, Father. Thank you. For thine is the kingdom. Thine is the power. Thine is the glory. Not ours. It's yours and yours alone. For now, forevermore, Lord. So by faith, now believing, we have received your word that you have spoken to us. We lift up holy hands. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name, O oh Father. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Just commit ourselves into the hands, Father. We ask and we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. With the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. Amen. Amen.